So, but today is from Zechariah chapter 4. When's the last time you heard a Bible message from this book? Uh, probably been a long time. I don't know. So we're going to look at it. Zechariah 4, verse 10. For who hath despised the day of small things? For who hath despised the day of small things? I want to preach a message this morning on the subject of the day of small things. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we bow before you and we come before you, Lord, as a church. Um, we meet together here in this building. The church is the people who are uh, in the body of Jesus Christ and uh, people who are redeemed. And Lord, um, I pray that this morning that, Father, you'd speak to us. Uh, Lord, uh, speak to us about some of the small things in life that that uh, others might think are insignificant, sometimes we might think don't amount to much, but they're important in your eyes. And uh, uh, Father, I pray that these small things, Lord, that we would um, that we'd be busy doing the little things, the little things that really count. And one day in eternity, we're going to realize that the small things were really the big things. And Father, I pray that if there be one here today that's still not trusting Christ as their Savior. They're not saved by faith uh, alone in Christ alone. Uh, Father, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Who hath despised the day of small things? What I'd like to do is I'd like to back up to verse 1. This is a prophecy or a vision given to Zechariah by the angel of the Lord. He gets this vision in the night. It's not really like a dream. It's different. It's something that he would have gotten in some kind of a trance. And he got several in this book. And the, the purpose of the, the vision was to encourage uh, Zechariah and to encourage Zerubbabel, who was the governor... And he was sent back from Babylon with the, with the returning uh, remnant of Israel to rebuild the temple. So they want to uh, encourage Zerubbabel and Israel to rebuild the temple. And folks, I just believe when you come to church, and I really want it to be this way, I feel like when you come to church, you need to be encouraged. Uh, you need to be edified, which means to be built up. We talked about that last Sunday. You ought to be able to come to church and feel like you get built up and not torn down. Amen. And really, that's what we want to try to do, but I can't do it alone. I mean, I think I can set the standard or set the pace for that, but really it has to be something that the whole church does. I mean, when somebody comes in here, they ought to feel like, you know, I was blessed by their fellowship. I, and they might even, not even know what those words mean, you know, but just coming in here, just uh, something about it. And I left and I feel like, you know, I got a shot in the arm that's going to help me through the rest of the week, and I really want it to be that way, and that's what this prophecy is. It's just to encourage them, go ahead and build that temple. That's what the Lord wants you to do, and that's, you know, an uncared for, or maybe some things have been broken down, and they need to be built back up. But uh, you pray and ask the Lord to speak to your heart through this message. In verse 1, the angel that talked with me came again. Now, this is a uh, pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ with what we call a Christophany. He appears as the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. And he waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep and said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked and behold a candlestick, all of gold with a bowl upon the top of it and his seven lamps thereon and seven pipes to the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof. He sees a candlestick. 
And if you're familiar with this, uh, you'll find it in the Old Testament. That's the candlestick that was supposed to be built for the tabernacle. And there were several pieces of furniture that were inside of the tabernacle. This is one of them. And it was to be on the left side as you entered in. It's on the left. And it's to always be burning. This candlestick is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. If you study the furniture in the tabernacle, it's a symbol of the Spirit of God. And it's to be burning all the time. And never to go out. They were always to be replacing the olive oil in there. The, the olives were crushed. And they, they got the oil out of those olives in order to put into the lamp. Then there would be a bowl and there would be a little wick. And uh, that wick would uh, feed uh, the fire. And they would keep that lit and keep that on all the time. And not only that, it says that there's seven branches. Well, in Isaiah... Isaiah talks about the seven manifestations of the Spirit. And he says in Isaiah 11, verse 2, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding and the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but he'll have wisdom that comes from the Lord. And Jesus, during his earthly ministry, manifested the Holy Spirit in those seven different branches, those seven different ways. And the Holy Spirit operates in his seven manifestations within the church. Revelation chapter 5 verse 6 says this, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne... And of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, capital L, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Now that's another representation of Jesus, the lamb, and then the seven eyes of the Holy Spirit. Olive oil pictures life. It pictures the, the supply of the Spirit, don't miss it now, for the work. The work that they had to do to rebuild the temple, which had been torn down. The, the temple that Solomon had built was torn down with all of its glory and everything, and then they were carried off into Babylon. Now they're returning years later, 70 years later. They're returning, and everything is in ruins. And now the Lord says, rebuild the temple. Don't give the priority to your houses and your lands, but rebuild the temple of the Lord. It's, a, it's important to establish the worship first. And this olive oil pictures the life, the supply that they would need to do it because he would say to them a little bit farther on down. Uh, let's see, see if I can find it now. Well, we'll get into it anyways. In the end of verse 6, not by power, but by my spirit. You see, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. He said, that's how you're going to do it. You're going to do it by my spirit. The temple now is connected with the tribe of Levi, the priests. He, he goes on in verse 3, he says, Two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof. Now, those two witnesses might have been the high priest during that time and Zerubbabel, the governor. Most likely, they look forward to the two priests, uh, the two witnesses during the uh, revelation of Jesus Christ. But if we take the immediate look, he's talking about two leaders, the priesthood and the governor. The priest 
In other words, in the king, the government that they represent. And he says uh, they're going to stand by the candle. What does that mean? That means that these two men, they're, they're leading, and they're going to lead in rebuilding this temple. These two men are going to get their power from the Holy Spirit. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Now, it's interesting, on that candlestick, if you study it, and you go to Exodus 25, you'll find out on that candlestick there's almonds, there's a knop and a flower, and then almonds, and a knop and a flower. And he describes in detail how that thing's supposed to be done. And it's supposed to be done in pure gold, illustrating deity, because the Holy Spirit is God. There was an argument between the Jews at one time about who the Lord would choose to lead the people. You remember the rebellion of Korah? And Korah said, you take too much on yourself, Moses and Aaron. We're all holy here. We can all be priests unto God. And so Korah and all his guys, he got 250 just uh, elite men in Israel, brought them out to rebel against Moses. And God says this, God says, tell them all, tell all the 12 tribes to get one uh, rod, which is like a dead branch, get one rod per tribe, put the name of the tribe on there, and then put the leader of that tribe, the leading man. And so for Levi, for Levi's rod, he said, put Aaron's name on there. And then take all those rods, take them into the tabernacle, sit them in front of the ark of the testimony, and then you come back out, and then the, the rod that buds is the one that I have chosen. The Lord is proving to them once and for all who I have chosen to be the priesthood. And, of course, we know the one that budded. It was Aaron's rod, the tribe of Levi. And then the Lord dealt with Korah and with his rebellious companions. And so what did it do? It budded with, let me, let me read this to you. It budded with, of all things, Numbers 17, verse 8 and 9. And it came to pass that on the morrow Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded meaning that's the one I choose to be the uh, priest and the leader, and brought forth buds and bloomed blossoms and yielded almonds, a knop and a flower and almonds. You know what that means? That golden candlestick is connected to the priesthood. It means that God was choosing certain people to do certain things And God's got a way of doing things. And then he's going to empower them by his Holy Spirit. And he's very serious about it. Those other men, they tried to do something else uh, another way. Listen, if you're going to do God's work, you've got to do God's work God's way, right? And we're not to just try to figure it out and do it however we want to. We've got pretty clear instructions. It's in a book. He gave us a manual to go by. And, And he showed who he approved. And the others were swallowed up whole. The ground opened up. And uh, swallowed them whole. And so you you got to be careful about trying to do something some way that God didn't tell you to do it. But listen, if you do it God's way, you can be promised this. And if you don't try to do it in your own strength, you can be promised this. You're going to get blessing. You say, what do you mean? What do you mean? We're, we're kind of getting there. I was talking to my friend. I tried to go squirrel hunting yesterday. And I, I finally took some time out to go and uh, just enjoy just being out there in the woods and then you know, and I woke up that morning, and it was, you know, what, what was going on, and then just poured buckets all day long. So uh, 
what I did was we just went out to eat and we went to a Mexican restaurant was just about as good. Um, and we went there and I went with my cousin, Johnny, he's also a pastor. We had a good time. We talked for over two hours. Uh, but you know, um, talking to my, my friend Eddie and I was talking to him, I said, you know, you're, you're pretty much my only friend, like friend, friend outside of church. You're my only friend. I'm thankful for you. I really am. And he was talking about what he's been telling his daughter. He didn't raise his daughter the right way. His oldest daughter, she's a teenager now and about 16 and, and going on 30. And, uh, you know, and he's just talking to me about what it's like. And he said, but he said, I've noticed this. He said that when I got my family in church and I started doing God's, started doing things God's way, he said, I just noticed like blessing after blessing after blessing. And there's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of truth to that. He said, I just kind of, he's like, nobody told me that. It's just like God showed me that. And he was trying to tell his daughter, she's trying to do some things and it wasn't God's way. And he was trying to say, look, listen, and, he, and I'll, I'll spare all the details. But he said, listen, if you just do things God's way, you watch, he'll bless it. He will. And he'll, he'll show you that he's with you and that he's going to bless you. And she's, she's made a profession of faith and, and those kind of things. But you know what happened after that? She started reading her Bible. He started catching her reading her Bible and things like that. And she's trying you see, so don't, don't ever underestimate your influence, even if you've raised children and not done it right. You still just don't underestimate what God can do in your life. Amen. And so that's the, that's the principle, is do things God's way, and God will bless. But you know what that rod that budded was? It was a dead branch, right? It was a picture of bringing life from death. This is good. Bringing life from death. It budded and produced flowers and almonds. It's a picture of the resurrection. Jesus Christ is the branch. And Jesus Christ was dead in the grave. He had died under the weight of the wrath of Almighty God for our sins. Was buried and then came up from the grave. Resurrected from death to life. Now who brought that rod to life? Who was it? It was God that did it, right? Who brought Jesus to life? God raised his son. Jesus raised himself, no matter how you look at it. God did it. And God said, he is the one I have accepted. He is the one who is approved. He, I, I, he's risen again for our justification to prove that his sacrifice was accepted. And that he went to apply his blood on the mercy seat. And that is the only sacrifice. He's the only one who's ever come up from the grave. And that if you try to, try to be uh, you know, accepted with God based on any other way, you're, you're, in for, uh, uh, you're in for a big disappointment one of these days. You better come to God, God's way. He accepts one sacrifice. Jesus Christ made one sacrifice for all, not to be repeated. And what we do is we look back 2,000 years to the one who hung on that cross, and we trust 100% by grace through faith we're saved in what Jesus did on the cross. By grace through faith, you're saved through the finished work of Christ and not your own work. Not your own work. Let me, re- let me read a verse real quick. Paul even tells us don't try to work for it. He tells us in Ephesians, it's not because of your works that God chose you to salvation, where he talks about election. It's not because of your works that he chose you to salvation. In Romans chapter 4, verse 5, he says, But to him that worketh not, 
This is how you get justified, how you are justified before God. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. You see, you've got to come to God and admitting you're ungodly. Otherwise, you don't qualify. You've got to admit, I'm ungodly. And uh, in my flesh, he says, uh, you, you cannot please God. And I come to God saying, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And his faith, listen to it, his faith is counted for righteousness. You place your faith in the right object. You see, there's only one way to do this thing. You place your faith in the right object. What is that? That's Christ crucified for your sins, buried and resurrected the third day. You place your faith in Him. You're saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ. And when you do that 100%, He says, come on, I'll take you. And I'll count your faith for righteousness. with Holiness without which no man shall see God. You've got to have that righteousness put on your account. And what He'll do is He'll just take your account and He'll take, uh, take that and He'll clear your sin debt. And then He'll put on your account... The righteousness of Jesus Christ so that when he looks at you, he looks at you the same way Jesus looks at you. In other words, he looks at you and sees his son. Or he looks at you and he, he looks through the blood of Jesus Christ as an atonement and a covering for you. And that way, judicially, this is a legal thing, a judicial thing. Legally, you can stand before God imputed. That counted and in other, in other places it's translated imputed. It's a legal term. Justification is a legal term. That's your legal standing before God Almighty. And God help you if you stand before God in judgment and you don't have the righteousness of Christ on your account. It's either you come to Christ and trust Him, the rod that budded, the, the only, any other priestly order is rejected. You see that? Aaron and, and, and Levi, that was the accepted priestly order. Now, because Jesus has risen from the dead, God was telling the Jews that he's become a high priest forever. And after the order of Melchizedek, and if you try to come to God by any other priesthood, telling the Jews in the book of Hebrews, you try to go through the Levitical priesthood now, you're sunk. You're in trouble. God won't accept it. No other priesthood now but the one who came up from the grave. And that's the one you go through. So this candle now, picture this, okay? If you were to walk into the the tabernacle, this is really good. You'd see the candlestick on the left, right? And I say this is really good because it's the Word of God. Candlestick on the left. That's the only light inside of the tabernacle, which is basically a tent. It's the only light. And over here in the corner on the right, you might miss it, except for that light. That light is shining on the showbread, the table of showbread. Had 12 loaves of bread. What is that? Six in this row, six in that row. 66 books in your Bible. Showbread pictures is a type of The word of God. Jesus said, man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God doth man live. Amen. And that that word of God is like bread. It feeds us, feeds our hungry souls. That light shines on the bread. And you know what? The only one that can give you light on the word of God is the Holy Spirit. That's the only one. 
archaeological stuff, historical stuff is interesting, but it can't give you light on the Word of God, not spiritual light. Uh, Greek professors and Greek scholars, they can't give you light on the Word of God. Only one that can give you light on the Word of God, and that's the Holy Spirit. Now, he uses his teachers, to be certain, but he's the only one that can give you light. You know what that means? It means you've got to have the Holy Spirit. You've got to have the Holy Spirit. If any man have not the Spirit of God, he's none of his. And then if you have the Holy Spirit, and he comes up and takes up residence within you the moment you believe and trust in Christ, and you're sealed until the day of redemption... If you have the Holy Spirit, then don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You know what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit? It, 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 it means to hurt Him. Make Him upset. He's a person. God has feelings. And if you grieve the Holy Spirit with something in your life, He'll stop giving you light on the Word of God. You'll stop learning. You'll stop growing. Ask me how I know. And let me tell you something else. If you, if you stop obeying Maybe he dealt with you about one little thing, and, it's, and to, to, to anybody else, it's nothing. But between you and the Lord, it's something. And he said, this, I'm dealing with you about this. He kind of put his finger on something, and he said, John, it's time for you to deal with this. Time for you to deal, <clears throat> deal with, uh, you know, maybe your selfishness, or your anger, or something, or your overeating. <laughs> Whatever it might be. And, and if I say... No, I don't want to deal with that right now. If I do that, then he says, okay, I still love you, but I'm not going to give you any more light. I'm not, the time in the Word of God every day is not going to be the same until you get that right. That's the way he works. Listen, folks, if, if I'm saying, okay, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And he says, I want you to go here. I want you to do this. And you say, well, what else do you want me to do, God? And he says, no, this is the next step I want you to do. What do you want me to do? I want you to change this. I want you to make this decision. And you say, well, is there anything else? You know, give me like multiple choice. Give me like a why in the road. Give me a couple. Uh, no. This is the next thing I want you to do. And until you take that next step, you don't get any more light on God's plan for your life. It doesn't mean that you lose your salvation. Not talk about that. But you lose your joy. And you lose that sweet spirit about you. And you lose the light that he's going to give you. The Holy Spirit gives you light on the word. Luke 4, 4, Jesus answered and said, Man shall not live by bread alone. John 14, 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. What went for the disciples, the same goes for us. John 16, verse 13. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Who will? Who will do it? The Holy Spirit. Spirit of God. And you know, when he speaks, he doesn't speak of himself, Jesus said. Some people that are talking about the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, and that's all they ever talk about is the Spirit and the operations of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. But they never talk about Jesus. They never exalt Him. They never witness. They never preach the plain gospel of the Word of God so that sinners can know how to find their way home in the dark. They're not filled with the Spirit, folks. You got a phony. Jesus said He won't speak of Himself, but He'll, he'll speak about me. And so a person who's filled with the Spirit is in love with Jesus Christ and tells other people 
about it. Now, the, the picture, picture the menorah, the candlestick shedding light on the bread in there. Now let's go back to Zechariah in chapter 4. Let me get back here in a minute. Zechariah chapter 4. And I'm going to show you the message that the Lord gave me from this. And I was listening to a preacher the other day, and that preacher said, he said, he was talking to other preachers. And it's like the, the Lord had that for me that day. You know what I'm talking about? One of those days when something hits you, and it's like, that came from God. I know it did. And um, he's, he was talking to, to preachers, and he was talking about his testimony. He said, I started out in a small country church, you know, so my ears kind of perked up when I heard that. Started out in a small country church. And uh, he's talking about how much he and his wife loved their, the years that they spent there and what that meant to them. And then he talked about going on to this other church. And then he just said something, just kind of like, like by the way or an aside. He says, listen, you preachers, you, you young preachers, don't ever despise serving a small church. Don't ever despise serving in a small town. Because that first church he was talking about, it was like a town of 500. He said, don't ever despise that because what's important is not the size of the town, the population. What's important is not the size of the church. He said, what's important is what God wants to do. Amen. And I was just like, bam, just hit me. And that wasn't the, the there was a couple of other things that was like right along the same line. And it's like, okay, I'm starting to see a pattern, Lord. And, and it's like the Lord just saying to me, I've got something to do in Antic. I've got something I want to do. Are you in on it? You want to be a part of this? And I said, yes, Lord. And I once again, you know, recommitted myself to what the Lord was doing here. But, you know, we could think of ourselves in the place of like Zerubbabel. We'd be kind of pushing it. But that was the man that God wanted to do something with. And Zechariah was encouraging him. If you look in uh, verse uh, 4, So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Because, of course, he didn't know. In verse 5, Then the angel uh, that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And he said, No, my Lord. <laughs> and we wouldn't either, right? We wouldn't have any idea what they were if we saw that. And then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, that governor, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Amen. Listen, God said, we're going to do something here, and we're going to do it by my spirit. What does God have for you to do? What does God have for us to do here in Racine in this year, in 2022? Um, what does God have for you to do in your home as a, as a parent, uh, as a spouse? Maybe, maybe uh, you're an empty nester, and you, it's just you and your wife. And, uh, what does God have for you to do? That's the question we need to ask. And however he's going to do it, listen, he's not going to do it by might. He's not going to do it by power. Sometimes we think that if I'm just forceful enough, if I'm just uh, persistent enough, if, if I'm just you know, strong enough, if I can just have the right kind of personality, or if I can just you know, really get at it and, and go after it like other people have, then maybe you know, God will use me and God will do something. And maybe if I'm to the point to where I'm kind of harsh and kind of forcing things to happen and forcing people to do what I want to do, then maybe then I'll see something happen. And he said, you don't, you don't have to do any of that. It's not necessary. I don't need your personality. I don't need your brains. I, I don't need your 
I don't need the, 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 you, know, you know, more people together. The more that we have, the more that we can do. God said, I don't need that. I just need you to be yielded to my spirit. I just need you to draw the power that you need. I need, I need you to just come to me and get what you need to do what I've called you to do. In other words, just say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. And let him do it by his spirit because I've seen it, you know, and you all have too. You've seen people come into church and they just give themselves to the Lord. And, and the way that we show that visibly is by being committed to what the Lord is doing today, which what the Lord is doing today is he's calling out a people for his name and he's working through his church. We've talked a lot about that. But you've seen people just kind of come in and get all the way in, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, just jump in the deep side of the pool. Uh, uh, get off the fence, you know, and don't get off on the devil's side. Get off on God's side and just get in and, and become a part, you know. And start to grow. And you watch what happens week after week, you know, month after month. Little by little, they're changing. They might not even see it, you know. They might not even know it. But other people are watching it happening. And then one year goes to the next year. And you're just a little bit, uh, you know, more like Christ. You're just a little bit more grounded. Not struggling as much, but walking in the Spirit. Doing the Lord's work, and you can see how God is using them. There's people in this church, I can just see how God is using you. You might not be aware of it all the time, but I can see it. And even the person who feels like they're the struggling the most, you know, they feel like I'm going through life and I'm just kind of limping through life, and it's just a struggle for me every day. And sometimes I just wish, Lord, just come back. I'm tired of the struggle. But you watch that person and you watch what happens with them. And that person, like uh, one I'm particular, I'm thinking about, he goes in and sees this girl all the time, you know, going to, going to work and stopping at the same gas stations and stuff like that. And uh, seeing this, this girl that he used to know from school and saying, hey, I'm going to this church. You know, you ought to come to this church. And, uh, and here's, a, here's a gospel uh, booklet. And, and uh, you know, and just, just come in there and then uh, one day he comes in there and he, and he says to this girl, he says, I just feel like I'm just, I'm a waste. I feel like I'm a loser. I can't get it together. Things are not happening for me. And she just said, uh, look, looked at him and said with tears, you, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't, you don't understand how you encourage me. You don't understand what, what God is doing through you. For me, don't see, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. And we all struggle, and I'm not saying it's okay, but what I'm saying is just, just give it to him. Just give what you got to him. And, and, and then you, you mess up, just keep trying. Just keep taking the next step. Just take it one day at a time, you know? Tomorrow's another day. <laughs> That's what my mom used to tell me. Tomorrow's another day. If she had to run me around in circles with the switch, we had a bad day. And then that night, you know, laying me down twirling my hair and telling me she loves me and tomorrow's another day, John Paul. Tomorrow's another day. You know? And, that, and she held to it. She didn't, she didn't like make me feel guilty for it tomorrow. And God will do that with you. He will. So he says, I got something for you to do. I want you to do it by my spirit. Verse 7, Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain. You see? Whatever's in front of you, whatever God wants, needs to take out of the way, he'll take it out of the way. He'll make a mountain <clears throat> into a plain by his spirit. He shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, grace, grace unto it. And that's, that's awesome. That's prophetic. And that's looking forward to Jesus Christ, the, 
the uh, chief uh, cornerstone that the builders rejected coming back. But anyways, verse 8, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. You know what that is? That's a wonderful promise, saying, If you start this project for me, and if you'll build by my spirit, you'll finish it. He's saying, I'm, I'm, <clears throat> I'm confirming this. I'm promising you, you're going to finish it. You're going to finish it. You see, you might feel like something in your life is, is hopeless. Something that got broke down or something, maybe you just left it. You started to work on it, started to build it, but you left it. And if God was in it, folks, if God was in it, he's still in it. Just go back to building it. But if God's not in it, then it won't get built. So for something in your life you're trying to build and it's not happening, you may want to you know, get uh, real close to the Lord in fellowship and prayer and try to find out if that thing... Ooh. Did it ever occur to you that there was nothing that God wanted to get done that he was never able to get done? <laughs> you know, Even if it meant Adam and Eve in the garden and they did what God told them not to do and we just took a 7,000 year hiatus... God still got the whole thing back right to where he wanted it. And it will get there to where he wants it. And uh, for who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet and the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. Talking about building and framing up the thing. These are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. For who hath despised the day of small things? I want to say today, don't despise the day of small things. Just like the Lord trying to tell me, don't despise a pastorate in a small country church. Don't do that. Just think about what I want to do there. Think about the work that I want to do there. Don't focus on the people that aren't there. Focus on the people who are there. And that way, when they come in, they can actually get a blessing, <laughs> you know. Amen. Building the temple. Well, when they got done, it was a quarter the size of the original. The original was this massive, beautiful building that Solomon built, right? And David spent his whole life saving up all of this material to build this, just the most beautiful building in all the world that anybody ever built for their God. And uh, it got tore down. But, you know, God didn't care about that building, God was happy with the tent. You see, God's not as interested in the material things like we are sometimes. And we can be so worldly about the work of God. God, God said, I'm happy with that tent, with that, you know, the fur over the top of it and stuff like that. And, and just dusty and you know, dirty moving it all around and, and that kind of thing. And God says, you don't need to build me a house, but they wanted to. And so now God says, I want you to rebuild the temple. This is central to you as a people but it's only quarter the size. And so maybe uh, when they got done, the older Jews, they were disheartened when they saw this. We know that from the Bible. They were disheartened. And maybe God was just trying to tell them, don't despise it. Don't despise the day of small things. Don't, don't despise this little temple. It was just a little remnant of Israel coming back, returning to rebuild the temple. I mean, before they had a huge population. Now they're down to just a small remnant. God says, I can work with that. I can do something. You say, what's he going to do? Out of a nation, he's going to bring forth a Messiah. And so, 
how can one man, think about it, just one, one Jew hanging on a cross 2,000 years ago, how is it that he can save, he, God will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth based upon the atonement. But just one Jew hanging on a cross, there were a lot of Jews that were crucified. God said, don't despise the day of small things. You see? God works through the small things, the insignificant things. That's what he does with us. Don't you know that? You might feel like you're small. You might feel like you're insignificant. You might feel like whatever God wants you to do, like it's small, like it's insignificant. You might think, ah, that's a small church. You know, you go talk to people as you try to witness to them and invite them to church, and they say, well, I like this mega church that I go to. And I, and I don't make a big deal out of it, but I say, I like my small church. There's, there's a strength in this, you know that? There's a strength in this. And, uh, and I like my small church, and I'm glad you're happy there. But uh, God uses small and significant people. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 says this, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise after the flesh. You see that? Your calling. What are you talking about? Being called by the gospel. And you answered the call. You see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. <laughs> That's what he's saying about us. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things. That's me. This is like my life verse. A fool, a weak, to confound those that are mighty. Base, base things of the world. The, the things which are despised. <laughs> That's my life verse. Hath God chosen, yea, in the things which are not. Just That's what I feel like. That's what I felt like before I got saved. Just a zero. Things that are not. To bring to not the things that are. That no flesh, listen to it, that no flesh should glory in his presence. God will not have it. So he uses the small things. He uses the insignificant as far as the world is concerned. But you see, in God's eyes, you're, you're beloved. Amen. You're cherished. You're precious. You are a precious living stone. But he's talking about as, as far as the world is concerned. We're just, uh, they just consider us to be a bunch of hicks that still believe the Bible. You know? Poor things, you need some education. You know? You know what's important, folks? Don't ever despise this. Your personal relationship with Jesus Christ is so important. So very important. Coming to church is good. Obviously, I'd say that. But it's good. It's good for you. sure has done a lot of good for me. But your personal relationship with the Lord, that's really where it's at. You need to be a part of a church. Don't get me wrong. That's God's plans program for this, for this age is being a part of His church. But your personal relationship, it's directly relation, proportionate to your, the amount of time that you spend with God. So, you know, this thing. That's what this represents. You getting alone with God, reading the Word, meditating on the Word, and praying about what He said. I was just doing that this morning as I was reading. And uh, reading in Genesis, that really speaks to me. Reading about marriage, that was God's first institution that he ever made. Marriage means a lot to God. And thinking about, you know, I wonder if my marriage is the way that God wants it to be and that kind of thing. And thinking about that. But the time that you spend in the Bible and in prayer is directly relationed or proportionate to your 
your relationship with the Lord. In other words, if you spend a little bit of time in the Bible and prayer, you, you spend a little bit of time in alone and secret with the Lord and in building your relationship with the Lord. Does that make sense? So if I spend a lot of time alone with God, guess what? I get closer in my fellowship with God and my relationship gets stronger. So it's like uh, you look at your gas gauge on your car, starts getting empty, and you start feeling like you're running on empty in your life. You just start spending more time with the Lord, and that's where your strength comes from. Because if you're not, you know what you're really saying to God? You're really saying, I can do this by my own strength and my own power. When he says, no, you can't. You know that verse, I can do all things uh, through John, because John is strong. You know, I can do all things through... You know, my intellect and my wit. You know, I can do all things through, uh, you know, the Republican Party. <laughs> I can do all things through a strong economy. No, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. That's what we need. And you say, yeah, yeah, I'm saved, I'm saved. It's, it's just like, I know I said this before, but it's just like if I said, yeah, yeah, I'm married, I'm married. You know, I got the ring to prove it. You say, I'm saved. I got the Holy Spirit. I got the seal to prove it. Okay, but how much time do you spend with the Lord? I mean, just you and Him. And if I were to tell my wife, hey, honey, I've been feeling real bad about the way I've neglected you, and I've decided I'm going to make myself spend five minutes a day with you and talking to you. And I'm going to do all the talking. You know, I don't want to let you talk to me. I'm going to do all the talking. Now, that would be pathetic, wouldn't it? I'd be in trouble. And uh, everybody would know it, right? If you got a happy wife, everybody knows things are going good at home, right? It's the, the wife is like the, uh, the barometer or the uh, thermometer of the marriage. Everybody can tell how good it's going in the marriage by what the wife looks like. Ain't that something to that? You see, but if I said, honey, I want to spend as much time as I possibly can with you. That's what God wants. He wants, I want to spend as much time as I possibly can. This is just something to just kind of get it going, you know. Now, as we finish, let me talk about a couple more small things that we shouldn't despise. Don't despise your personal witness for Christ. In other words, take these things out and do this. Say, hey, did you get one of these? Hey, did you get one of these? Hey, did you get one of these? Because we want everybody to get one, don't we? So we want to find out if they got one. Hey, did you get one of these? And, uh, and like, smile. Look like, you know, you, you actually got something that's worth, you know, that you like and you want to give it to them too. Uh, did you get one of these? And don't despise what the Lord can do with that. You say, well, it's just a track and people probably throw them away. This is what God did with a, with a gospel track. This is why Christians should use tracks. We should use them because God uses them. Did you know that somebody gave a track to Hudson Taylor when he was 17 years old? He was a missionary to China, a famous missionary. They gave him a gospel track when he was 17 years old, and he got saved reading that track. And then after that, he would go out regularly, all the time, just passing out tracks, witnessing to people where he lived in London, around London. One track. But listen to what God did with Hudson Taylor. They took, Hudson Taylor took the gospel to China 
And I was watching this BBC special of Chinese tourists coming to London, to South Yorkshire, to a town of Barnsley, a little town. Never despise a day of small things. Just a little town. And it was the hometown of James Hudson Taylor. These tourists, these Chinese tourists, you know, getting out of their little bus, walking around this town, talking to people, the BBC reporters talking to people, the BBC reporters saying, have you ever heard of Hudson Taylor in his own hometown? And they're like, Hudson Taylor, no, who's, who's that? Who's that? Is he a police officer? You know, who is he? And, and they went around, finally they found one lady who knew who James Hudson Taylor was. She said, yeah, he was a famous missionary to China. Well, all these Chinese people are seeing where he lived, the church that he preached in when he was there, and they were in tears. Because you know why? Because there's about 60, listen to this, about 60 million Christian Chinese people in China, and many of them consider uh, Hudson Taylor to be responsible for their conversion. So many of them trace their Christian roots back to that missionary. There were other missionaries that God sent to China, but he used him in a great way. He stayed in China for 51 years. Think about the hundreds of thousands, the countless people who got saved because somebody gave a track to him, and because he said, my little life coming from Barnsley, nobody ever heard of Barnsley before, nobody even knows who he is today, in my little life, I'll give it to the Lord, he went to China, and he started to realize nobody's, nobody's responding to me because I look like an Englishman, so he started to dress like a Chinaman, and he dyed his hair black, and he wore the ponytail coming out of here and grew his beard long, to look just like him as much as possible, to act like him, eat like him, talk like him, everything to do everything he could except for doing something sinful in order to reach him, and it, and it reached him, and God used it. Do you know who led Dwight L. Moody to Christ? Do you know his name? No, but you know Dwight L. Moody. It was just a shoe salesman. wasn't an ordained minister. Do you know who led Billy Graham to Christ? It was during a Mordecai Ham meeting, but uh, it was just some personal worker down at the altar. We don't know who he was, but we know who Billy Graham is. Do you know who led Spurgeon to Christ? You don't. And neither do I. I don't know his name. But he was a Methodist lay preacher in a little downtown mission in London. Probably the devil telling him, don't even get up into the pulpit tonight. What's the point? It's just some little mission in downtown London. Some little struggling uh, Methodist church. Don't even bother. But he gets up and he preaches a poor sermon. And Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the young Charles Haddon Spurgeon, gets saved. And God uses him and builds a megachurch in London, England, 6,000 people. Don't despise the day of small things. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. You know, God might be wanting to give you more, but you're not being faithful in the least. So how can he give you the much? Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. <clears throat> you know, the angel of the Lord, he gave this vision to Zechariah to encourage Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple. What does the Lord want you to rebuild? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, is there something the Lord wants you to rebuild? Maybe it's uh, your marriage. Maybe the Lord wants you to rebuild your Christian witness with your family. 
Maybe he wants you to rebuild your personal relationship with him and get back to spending time alone with him all the time. And maybe he wants you to rebuild your, your, your evangelistic track passing uh, habits. You used to. You used to do it, but you kind of let it go. What does the Lord want you to rebuild? Maybe he wants you to rebuild a Sunday school. Maybe it's a broken relationship with a son or a daughter. Maybe it's some dream that you had and you let it go. But you felt like the Lord was in it. and You feel like it's, oh, it's just a dream now, it don't matter. You might feel like, I'm just insignificant. I'm nobody. I, I'm, I'm, I'm nobody. Never despise the day of small things. Small things are big things to God. We have a sign that's hanging on our wall in our house that reads, Enjoy the little things in life. For one day you'll look back and you'll realize that they were the big things. And I'd say be faithful in the little things in life. One day you'll look back and you'll realize they were the big things. They were the big things. Your time alone with the Lord every day, it's, it's a big thing. It's a big deal. And the closer you get to the Lord, the more that God will bless you, the more that He'll use you to be a blessing to others. Before we pray, I want to say this. God loves you. He sent His Son to die for your sins. When He died on the cross, one of the last things He said was, It is finished. He finished the work of atonement. He died for all of our sins, past, present, and future. And He wants, to come, wants you to come to Him with a childlike faith, saying, I'm a sinner. Jesus is a Savior. And I trust Him alone and His shed blood to wash away my sins and I want this personal relationship that you're talking about. And if you'll do that, he'll take you just as you are. Be like that repentant publican who just just hit his chest with his hand and says, "God, be merciful to me a sinner." Jesus said, "That man went away justified." He went away justified. Well, if you add to that, God be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me for Jesus' sake, you'll go away justified today. Lord, I pray that you'd bless this invitation. I pray that you'd bless this little church. And God, uh, forgive me for letting things slip in my life. Help me to rebuild the things that you want me to build. Show me, Lord, the things in my life that you're, you're in. If you're in it, Lord, and you want me to do it, I pray that you'd show me. And I pray for the same thing upon these that are here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What's our number today? 483, please. I surrender all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have some very, very faithful ladies that work in the sound booth. <laughs> we sure appreciate them. Yeah.
Maybe the Lord just wanted us to end with a smile today. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Amen. story before we depart, and we'll ask Brother Adam to close us in prayer. I heard of a, an evangelizing testimony just last night. A young lady was in a shopping center and saw a guy there and gave him something that looked like this, and she said, here, did you get a million? She said, here, I want to give you a million dollars. And um, he took it, and, and she was nice and everything like that, so he wanted to be polite, and he just put it in his pocket. He intended on throwing it away. This man was an atheist. Yeah, right there. And uh, can I see that? It's probably the same one here. Yep. I think it's, yeah, Living Waters, that's right. So uh, she gave him this, and this guy was prepared. You know, he, the Lord had been working in his life. But when he got home and he read it, he forgot about it, pulled it out of his jeans. He got home and he read it. God used it to touch him because there was scripture in there. That's what God uses. Amen. John 3.16 and other scriptures used it. And that guy just got down on his knees at his bed and said, God, you got me. You got me. And, um, and he said, I don't know what this means, but I'm praying and I want Jesus to be my Savior. And I'm sorry for being so wicked and saying you don't exist and cursing you and taking your name in vain and stuff like that. And got saved. And then... Started doing the same thing, passing them out, and then made a video to tell people about it. Don't ever despise what God might do with that. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and have Brother Adam close us in prayer.